1 to 14. Now Israel heard the decrees and law, sorry. Now Israel, hear the decrees and laws I'm about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God of your ancestors is giving you. Don't add to what I command you and don't subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. You saw with your own eyes what the Lord did at Baal Peor. The Lord your God destroyed from among you everyone who followed the Baal of Peor. But all of you who held fast to the Lord your God are still alive today. See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them, the way that the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws that I am setting before you today? Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you don't forget the things that your eyes have seen or let them fade from your hearts as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb when he said to me, Assemble the people before me to hear my words so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while it blazed with fire to the very heavens with black clouds and deep darkness. And then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. He declared to you his covenant, the Ten Commandments, which he commanded you to follow, and then wrote them on two stone tablets. And the Lord directed me at that time to teach you the decrees and laws that you are to follow in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. And the second reading is three verses from Philemon, chapter 1. So, from Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of God. Thank you, Brenda, and thanks, Maddie. And good morning, everybody. Hello. Hey, um, I was a little, maybe you won't be shocked, but I wasn't shocked, but I was, can't believe you're doing that, to see a video this week on Instagram from a friend of mine. This crazy young lady went bungee jumping. Are there any bungee jumpers out there? There's one. Any? Any? 
Don't out yourselves. So I guess I probably painted this in the light. I think you're nuts. I just, I just, I watched her do this thing and I was like, I cannot, I, I cannot in my mind work out how a person does that with themselves. Uh, bungee jumping and skydiving, all these sorts of things, I think they're terrifying. Because like, imagine yourself there. The, the thing that gets me is there's this moment of decision, right? This moment of decision where you got to go, okay, I'm standing on a perfectly good platform. Now for mine, I'm still happy to climb down and stand on the ground. But for what it's worth, here I am, feet planted on a platform, and I've now got to say, okay, they've bound me to this giant elastic band, and I'm going to let go of this platform. I can't even do it off the... It's tr crazy. You're crazy. I wouldn't do it. But here's the thing with bungee jumping, there's that moment of decision where you've got to make a call on what do I feel like I'm truly bound to and do I trust it? Am I going to come to this place where I will jump, I will leap forward and trust that I'm bound to this cord and I can leave the safety of the platform? As we jump into Philemon this morning, uh, this new book we're having a look at, uh, it's going to be important for us to be aware that everyone in the book, and for us too, will have to be aware of what am I bound to? What are the things that hold me? Now, if you reflect upon your life, are there some things you go, I'm really bound to that. That's a thing that I don't want to compromise. Now, I wouldn't want to compromise my place on a timber platform for my place on the end of a rubber band. I just couldn't do it. But I reflected upon my life and I thought, what are some things that I'm really, you know, fussy about that I, I hold on to? And I thought, time is one. Now, I don't know what your thing is. This is a bit of personal reflection and now it's become public confession. I get weird about time. And I knew this because this is one of the things that I can get quite defensive about or argumentative about. I remember in my 20s once a career limiting move when my sales manager said, you guys have done well this month, we're going to take you all out for dinner. And I said, I hope you all have a wonderful time together, but I'm not coming. What do you mean you're not coming? Well, I do something else on that night. I don't want to be a part of it. It's my time. I'm the kind of person who believes that, you know, being on time, it's like letting your yes be yes and your no be no. So if I'm in a meeting with you and you're late, just realize that in my heart, I'm either doing some work to be empathetic, what could have happened to them along the way, what could have happened to them along the way, or I'm trying to be gracious, forgive them, forgive them, you make mistakes too, you've been a lesson, or on a weekday, I'm just judging you. Fuck <laughs> you, liar. Time's precious to me. So I've done my public confession, and maybe you'll do some reflection of your own. What are the things that you hold on to really tightly? It's an important question because it's going to be an important question for everyone in the book of Philemon to reflect upon as well. As we saw earlier in our, in our family spot, this is a message that involves a significant reconciliation, as we'll see in weeks to come, between Philemon and Onesimus. And it's become public. And it's going to have to, it's going to involve issues of different classes, of you wronged me and you did this and you did this and yet coming back together. And at some stage, everyone in this book, well, particularly Philemon, is going to have to ask himself, what am I really bound to? What's most precious to me? What is the thing that compels me? So for me, bungee jumping, what compels me is feet planted on the ground, not feet, dang feet dangling from a rope. I'm just compelled that way. I can't do the jump. I'm not going to do the jump. If you did the jump, you're nuts. Not me. This is the thing that they'll all have to 
reflect upon and we will be invited to reflect upon as well where are we going today well you'll see it on the screen as as julie brings it up i think what we're going to learn is that when you're bound to christ you're bound to his family that's something that these guys are going to realize and i think we're going to realize when you're bound to christ you're bound to your family now let's jump into the book we're just going to do three verses today but it's important to work out the who and the why of what's going on to do this i've created a dreaded email uh, to try and help us understand what's going on here firstly let's understand who this is to and who it's from this is a letter to philemon and it's from paul now there are some other names mentioned there as well but it's important for us to realize that in the first instance this is a personal letter how do we know because as we read on we're going to see that whenever paul uses a pronoun he says i he doesn't say we they're all singular now people who speak english well know that we say you people who speak english exceptionally well know that you can say use you just can and the bible says so because ancient greek has both you and use there's a plural sadly english doesn't actually have use but paul doesn't and paul doesn't use use in this letter he says you it's a personal letter it's from i paul to you philemon now let's leave that up for a moment julie and explore our um our email because whilst paul is speaking personally to philemon it's going to be this is paul i'm communicating what i think for your action philemon he cc's a bunch of people in because whilst it's not their action item this is something that they are stakeholders in as well and will have a concern for so paul cc's in timothy he cc's in Athia and he cc's in Archippus and he cc's in the whole church so a few people it's only a small church he cc's all of them in so our personal letter whilst it's personal is also a communal letter and the question we ask is why why has he done this why has he informed all these other people well some have sort of said well you can see what paul's doing here he's going to ask philemon to do a difficult thing and just maybe he sort of opens his argument by bringing a few more people in and adding pressure i think adding pressure or that argument is a polite way of saying philemon uh, paul's trying to shame philemon into it hey there's this issue i've told everyone about it now let's all watch and see if you do the right thing i don't think that's what's going on in fact paul will later in the letter say hey i could command you but i'm not in the command space i'm appealing to your best heart i want this to be something that you do because you want to do it don't forget when these letters are written paul's not the sole author we believe in the dual authorship of scripture it's written by paul as much as it's written by god the holy spirit and god's not a shaming god this isn't about putting together uh, shame tactics to try and make this happen instead just maybe if we consider our, our minds bound in a different way perhaps paul has cc'd everyone in that there might be mutual discernment that people who know and love god together might walk together through a difficult space that they might pray together that they might as one be calling out to god and saying hey god speak to us all that our brothers might walk in the right way hey could we discern this together paul even goes as far as he's the apostle right and timothy is like his son he's apprenticing the lord but paul practices an accountability where he asks timothy to be in the letter as well 
hey, I'm writing these things, but Timothy, I want your eyes on this as well. The Spirit lives in you too. Let's make sure this is what God's really saying. It's my request, but I want your eyes. And I'm writing to Philemon, but Archippus, Aphia, church, I want your eyes. I want you to discern with us. Let's be doing this together. Let's be accountable. Let's make this work. And what is the subject? Well, the subject, as we're going to see in weeks to come, comes up in verse 6, probably the key verse in this whole letter. It's about what's called koinonia or fellowship. And I've kept the uh, original language there because it's a particular term that can get confused with all sorts of other terms. And fellowship's not one we use a whole lot these days, but it's going to be really important for our lives together and for the life of this church together as well to understand what is fellowship in Christ. And here's the cool thing. There's a BCC as well, a blind copy. They may not realize, but guess what? Victory Anglican Church has been copied into this letter too, so we've got it right here. So obviously this is given to us, so not just that Philemon and all these guys might learn something about God and life together, but that we might learn something about God and life together. And the first thing I think that we can really learn here is to rethink how we make decisions about calling. How do we make decisions about what we should do? Have you ever had the feeling or had someone share with you or heard someone say, God's calling me to this. I feel God saying this to me. When you're in that space of feeling God's saying something to you or God's calling you to something, how do you know? How do you know that that's not just a strong feeling you have, and it could be a good feeling, but is it God that said that? Well, you'll rightly say to me, Shane, don't forget the Bible. The Spirit never says anything that he hasn't said in the Bible. And I'd say, great, you're right. But sometimes the Bible doesn't have to Shane from Paul, and it's a little bit hard to discern. What's something else we can do to work out? Is God really saying that to me? Is God calling me to that? Well, I spend time with God. I spend time in his word, and I spend time with others who have God's Spirit. I consult with others. Once upon a time, I got ordained. And one of the questions they ask you is, do you believe God has truly called you to this ministry? Oh, I read my Bible and I prayed a bit. My minister said, I'm all right. What do you do? You talk to God's people and you say, do you think God has called me to this ministry? Because I think he's telling me, but what do you think? This is an important step for us, friends, because sometimes we're bound to the concept of MYOB, mind your own business. And it's not a bad idea there might be a better idea of understanding that when we're bound to Christ, we're bound to his family. And so when we make decisions together, when we make decisions or talk about God calling us to stuff, sometimes we might want to involve others in that. And so I think the Spirit's saying this to me. Is he saying it to you? Because he's not a spirit of confusion. Let's decide together. Sometimes as we make decisions for God or want to serve God or act in particular ways for God, we want to say, let's do this in an, in an accountable way. Let's go together. I, I want to just brag on some people for a moment. I am just so thrilled to the back teeth. All of our life group leaders uh, earlier this year took time out of their schedules to meet with Joe Brain and myself, each one of them, uh, sh sharing how they're going with God, how their life groups are going and things like that. And we shared with them, because we believe in accountability, a position description, what we ask life group leaders to be at Victory Anglican Church because they are elders. And almost all of them joyfully signed that document and said, yes, this is me, because they are stepping into a space of accountability. To walk into ministry all by yourself, regardless of what it is, 
is not the wisest of ideas. But to put yourself in a space like the apostle does with his son in the Lord and says, Timothy, can I get your eyes on this as well? I want to be accountable for what I've said. I want someone else who has the Lord's spirit to help me shape what I think God is saying. Come with me in this. is really healthy. And so I praise God for those guys. I think they made a great decision and I love doing ministry with them. So in our BCC, what can we think about? We can think about how do we discern? How do we decide? How do we go together? Because when you're bound to Christ, you're bound to his family. So let's take a moment to think, so, okay, if I'm bound to Christ and I'm bound to his family, who am I? And Paul's got a bit to say. In just this short little bit, there's a whole lot to learn about who we think we are in Christ. So let's, let's see it. Um, Paul introduces himself as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now, here's an interesting thing. Um, well, I think it's super interesting. I'm hoping someone else does. Did anybody watch one of my favourite shows of the last 10 years, The Newsroom, by Aaron Sorkin, the guy who gave us The West Wing? Any Newsroom fans? Yes. Love to you. Newsroom fan over here. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Okay, this side of the room wins. Fantastic. Well done. Um, the Newsroom was great. Uh, one of the characters, played by Jane Fonda, Leona Lansing was the character's name. She walks in and she says, you know, in, in, this, in the middle of this hostile takeover, she says, Webster's Dictionary have recently redefined the word literal so that it might be understood as used in the way that people are using it, which is actually figurative. So when I say to you, I will literally burn this company to the ground before I sell it to you, you don't know if I'm speaking literally or figuratively. I thought, how interesting, I want to check that out. It's true, the dictionary now lists literally as one of the meanings as figuratively. So if you go home and say, oh, Shane did this message this morning and it literally bored me to death, I don't even know what you mean anymore. (laughs) The good news is when we read Philemon, we don't need to make a decision about literal or figurative at this point when Paul talks about being a prisoner for Christ Jesus because I think he's talking about both. Paul introduces himself as a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Now, uh, most of the leading commentators will point to this imprisonment being in Rome, but it's not like he's behind bars. It's more like, again, if you remember back in the day when Lindsay Lohan uh, was under house arrest and she had the little ankle bracelet. I see a nod down. Thank you. Uh, I love when someone nods. It helps me know I'm not crazy. Well, not not by myself crazy, Um, had a little ankle bracelet so she's not allowed to leave leave the house. And that's how it was for Paul in Rome. Now, I wonder if someone can help, Pete, you're closest. Can you just come up and help me? This is kind of what it looks like. You grab one end of this chain and I'll grab the other. And I want to embed this in your mind because this is going to serve us throughout Philemon. Paul's talking about being in prison. This word desmios that he uses can be simply translated bound. So our letter could start, Paul, bound for Christ. Paul, bound to Christ, and it's both. What Paul is saying is, look, on the surface, I look like a prisoner of Caesar, but I want you to understand that I'm bound to Christ. And here's where it's kind of literal and figurative. The way the imprisonment worked looked like this. So if I'm Paul, Pete would be my prison guard. I'm at home, but he is bound to me and I am bound to him. So I don't go anywhere without Pete. And where Pete goes, I go too. <laughs> and this is Paul's reality. He's like, well, there's this Roman guard guy that I'm bound to, but actually I want you to know I'm bound to Christ. And so where Christ goes, I go too. 
And my conscience in Christ doesn't allow me to go where Christ doesn't go. My life is bound to him. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, the first thing he's saying is, I am a man who is bound to Christ. Where he goes, I go. And he calls me from going, from not going where he wouldn't go. Thanks, Pete. Give Pete a clap. And I hope this will stay with you because these will help us as we read through this book and we think about what we're bound to. So Paul introduces himself as this bound one and Timothy he introduces as our brother Timothy. Now we know Timothy's not biologically related to Paul or these folks. He's got family who are named in the Bible, Eunice and Lois, but there's something else that binds them. Paul's called a brother. Athia, now there are theories about Athia maybe being Philemon's wife, but no one's really sure, and maybe even Archippus's mum, but no one's sure. But what we are sure is what we read, that Athia is called our sister. And in this New Testament letter addressed and noted to the church, she's the first one cc'd. And so we should be mindful of this prominent place that women could occupy in the early church. It's worth our meditation as we reflect on other things. So there's Athia, again, a sister. And then there's Philemon. Who is Philemon? Well, Philemon's beloved. You're beloved of us. You're dear to us. We've cultivated this love for you in Christ. And Philemon is called a fellow worker. You work with us. And Archippus, our fellow soldier. Do you notice what's common about all this language? This is all together language. You can't be bound to someone without a someone. So Paul talks about together language there you can't be a brother without a sibling you can't be a sister without a sibling you can't be a fellow worker without a co-worker you can't be a fellow soldier unless you're part of some kind of a unit what paul is kind of stress is hey guys before i tell you anything before i ask for anything at all i want you to know who i'm bound to and i want you to know that we're bound together and as people bound together and bound to christ that's going to influence the decisions we make. Because once again, Paul reminds them that when you're bound together with Christ, you're bound together with his family. So as we just switch into our BCC mode again and think, well, what are we meant to learn from that? Well, I wonder if it might encourage us once more. We're a kind of large church and we function really well together. But to continue to remind ourselves to move beyond functionality and utility First, that we understand that the ministry we have, we share together. This is our mutual responsibility. All together, we are ambassadors for Christ. All together, brothers and sisters, co-workers, co-soldiers, working for Christ together. And as brothers and sisters working for Christ together, we're encouraged by this letter to also have affection for one another. You might go, yeah, but I just don't feel it. Okay. Let's pretend that we're not 13-year-olds looking for an infatuation with a really cute guy that I just got the X factor for. And, oh, I feel affection. This is about cultivating affection for someone who might be quite different to you, someone who might be just from another walk of life. But they're bound to Christ and you're bound to Christ. And so whilst we might initially feel no kind of, oh, I want to hang out with you, and it doesn't mean I have to hang out with you, but under God, we cultivate affection for one another. We cultivate this love for one another. We invest in the well-being of one another. Because when you're bound to Christ, you're bound to his family. 
There's something else I want to say that I think is worth saying, and you'll understand that is awkward for me to say. Uh, one of the things here in how Paul introduces himself and these others is there's no kind of designation of some of the language that we might use today. Now, we use language that just helps us function together, but I want to show you the limitations of it. And the language I'm talking about is that of volunteer and staff. Now, I need, to, I need to declare a prejudice. I don't like being called staff. And I don't like you being called volunteer. But beyond my own prejudice for it, let me try and show you why I don't think it's always helpful. Um, volunteer robs you of your status. Volunteer robs you of who Christ has called you to be. It's almost like, you know, think you're growing up, your mum says, do the dishes. She doesn't say, volunteer to do the dishes. She said, do the dishes because you live here. Right? This is what our family does. You're part of this family, you're part of this family. So do the dishes. Not volunteer to do the dishes. There's that terrible thing that crept into the vernacular where dads have their kids for the day and someone says, oh, you're babysitting the kids. No, I'm not babysitting my kids. I'm parenting. I'm not a babysitter. I'm a parent. So here I am parenting. The babysitter's 13. We pay her $5 an hour and she babysits, but I'm parenting. When we speak of volunteer, I think we rob God's people of the status that is theirs, bound to Christ Jesus, co-worker, heir, all these sorts of things, adopted. Sometimes I have to rebuke myself See, I don't know if you know what a minister's role is. There are lots of things we do, but one of the primary things we like to think about is we discover, disciple, and deploy. Help people find what God wants them to do, help them grow in Christ and in capacity, and deploy to that ministry. So here's what happens sometimes. I'll then pop the cover and show you what happens in a minister's world. Sometimes you think, oh, there's a ministry here. I might ask that person. And then you go, no, I can't ask them. Why can't I ask them? Because it will be hard. And it might be a burden. And I've had to rebuke myself and say, Shane, have you ever done ministry that is hard? Yes, I have. Have you ever done ministry that's a burden? Yes, I have. Have you ever had done ministry that even hurts a bit? Yes, I have. So Shane, what makes you think that you love Jesus more than they do? Shane, what makes you think that Jesus loves you more than he loves them? Don't you think he wants to refine and disciple them too? Sometimes God's people walk through hard, difficult, costly, hurty spaces as their heavenly father is refining, shaping and growing them. And I'm so arrogant sometimes as to think that somehow I must love Jesus more than you do because I don't ask. But I should ask. And delight when you say yes. And delight when you say no. Because if you say no, cool, okay. Now you're just on to the next thing to work out what God does want you to do. Because that's the other thing. This volunteer language kind of it, it, it fools us into thinking that maybe serving the Lord is optional. But it's not. Not from the very beginning. Come follow me and I'll make you. Come with me. This is how I'm going to grow you. This is how I'm going to make you more like Christ. The Spirit is conforming us into the likeness of Christ. And Christ is a servant for the kingdom of God. It's not about volunteering. It's about being a part of. And so I hope that encourages you as much as it challenges you. That there's a space for everyone. 
and some optional space. It's a space of growing into who God wants you to be and then stepping in and being that person. And yeah, I've got to say, and this is even more awkward because I am staff and I do get paid. But I don't get paid to do ministry. Uh, one of the things I want to share is, you know, one of, the, one of the wonderful things that God has done is before I was a staff member, I taught the Bible and I led God's people where I was invited to do that. And then some of God's people said, hey, maybe you should do this all the time. So don't worry about selling bikes anymore, which is what I used to do. We're going to support you and your family's needs so you can do this all the time. And my prayer is that one day when I get older and retire, I'll do what I see my older brothers in the Lord do. They're not paid anymore, but what do they do? They keep teaching and leading God's people and praying for God's people wherever they're invited to do it. See, the difference between staff and volunteers, sometimes it might mean that we're bound by whether I'm paid or not, rather than whether I am called or not. As Romans 12 says, to serve according to the apportion of grace that you have been given. And so we reflect upon this. What am I bound to? When you're bound to Christ, you're bound to his family. So who am I bound to? Well, as, as, the, as the passage finishes up, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. When you're bound to Christ, you're bound to his Father. You're adopted into his family. Hence, we call each other brother and sister. When you're bound to Christ, you're bound to his grace. You go where he goes. And so when you're bound to Christ, you come into the Father's love. You receive love that wasn't yours. But it's given to you because you're bound to Christ. When you're bound to Christ, and all this bound language, it's not really the sort of thing. If I was to say, hey, you can be a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I haven't heard many evangelists say, who here wants to become a prisoner of Christ Jesus? Okay, eyes closed, no one looking around, hands up. Who wants to, oh, I see hands going up here. Praise God, praise God. You don't see it. But you could. Because the beauty of being bound to Christ or being a prisoner for Christ is that you're bound to Christ and his peace. Peace, which, which is shalom, wholeness, fullness, true freedom. And that sounds like something worth being bound to. When you're bound to Christ, you're bound to his family. When you're bound to Christ, you're bound to his church. And so let me finish with a question. Imagine CMS summer school has just kicked off. There's a whole bunch of Christians from different spaces who are going to mix and meet each other and hear stories and hear teaching and all great things. And you meet someone new and you have lunch. So what church do you go to? That's not a bad question to ask. You, You would ask someone, what church do you go to? Here's a better question to ask. Rather than what church do you go to, what church do you belong to? Because what church do you go to is as simple as where was the cheapest petrol this week? What church do you belong to says, hey, where have you been adopted into? Where do you have a share in the ministry? And who has a share and an investment in you? Where are you bound? Because when you're bound to Christ, you're bound to his family. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus. What an amazing thing for him to come for us. While we were enemies, strangers, and retreating from you, the Lord Jesus came and he called for repentance. He called us to turn back, to turn back and willingly surrender our lives to him that he might grant us eternal life. And so we thank you, Heavenly Father, for our Lord Jesus. We thank you that by your Holy Spirit we are united with him. We are bound And we pray, Father, I pray first, I've confessed my 
little obsession with my time. Lord God, we all have things that we found that find ourselves bound to that might prevent us from going where Jesus is leading. And so we pray now together, together, discerning together as your people, that your Holy Spirit would unite us such with Christ that we might be brave to maybe let go of a couple of things, to go where he is going, and importantly, Father, to move affectionately and in Christian fellowship toward one another. Father God, would you teach us and lead us in these ways? 